Uh, welcome, everyone. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? We good? Who here is ready for the epic snowstorm we're getting? Yeah, you're like, hey, Nick, you're watching the clock. You better, you better hurry up and preach, otherwise we're going to get stuck. Uh, let me give you some pastoral wisdom and advice. Just avoid 95 this afternoon. Um, I have a, a friend who got stuck 21 hours uh, in Fredericksburg. Yeah, yeah. So just stay home. Get some, uh, you know, get your Snuggie out and some hot chocolate and don't travel. It would be great. So uh, with that said, as that um, uh, slide shows, we are in a sermon series entitled The Power of Praise. Every uh, turn of the year at the transit, we kind of like to do a deep dive into the spiritual disciplines. Last year, we talked about abiding from John 15, and uh, we talked about prayer in the past. And so uh, for this sermon series, we, we thought, hey, we ask you guys to sing every Sunday morning for like over 45 minutes of your time. And yet uh, the vast majority of us, if I were to ask for a show of hands and say, how many of you have heard a sermon on praise, uh, probably there'd be no hands raised. And yet we see in scripture the preeminence of this theme, First uh, Peter 2.9, that we are redeemed to proclaim the excellencies of our Redeemer out of our mouth. We were designed, we were created to worship, to delight in God, to behold his glory. Let that glory warm our affections and out of that beholding comes praise as a natural response. We look, we see, and we overflow with appreciation and gratitude for Jesus Christ, the cross, the forgiveness, the redemption, uh, future glorification, and it overwhelms in praise. So we should be a people constantly singing praises to our king. And Bob Coughlin says this line. He said, Jesus died, Jesus died to redeem a universal choir. That's pretty good, right? I thought so too. I had the same reaction that Jess had. Ooh, when I got that there. <laughs> um, Jesus died to redeem a universal choir. So we're going to be talking about this for five weeks. I would encourage you, this is week three. I would encourage you, if this is your first time here, to go back and listen to uh, the first two messages on this topic because everything is building on top of another. A lot of stuff I might say today might not, not, might not make sense because you didn't hear the first sermon or Joe's sermon last week. So I'll do a quick recap to catch us up to speed. Um, but uh, the first week we looked at the purpose of praise. Why do we sing? And we saw that that's actually our chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And part of the ways that we uh, glorify God is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And C.S. Lewis defines praise as the consummation, the fulfillment of joy. It's inner health being made audible, and that inner joy is, it comes to the fullness of joy, the fullness to its completion when it cracks out of our mouth in thanksgiving and praise to the one that we have adoration and affection for. So we talked about that for week one, and then last week Joe Workman gave a beautiful sermon unpacking Hebrews 12, Revelation 4 and 5, uh, about uh, answering the question of the place of praise. Where do we go when we sing praises to Jesus? What do we enter into? And what we saw is that by the Spirit, we enter into uh, not just to a, a picture or to what's happening in Hebrews 12. We enter into an actual uh, the heavenly realms where Jesus right now uh, is seated and the saints and angels are singing praises unto his name. When we gather corporately and we begin to praise Jesus, we're, that's where we're entering into. Um, so if you have the time, listen to that sermon. And today, we're talking about the power of praise. Everything starts with the letter P. 
to help you all out, okay? So the power of praise, and we're going to be asking and answering, well, what happens when we praise? Are we just uh, singing in an echo chamber? Are we just singing to sing? Uh, uh, is this a waste of time, or is something actually taking place? And what, we're wanting, what we want to unpack is this, is that there is so much more happening when we praise our King and lift our voices and our hearts to sing praises to our God. And so an essential, essential clarification that needs to take place before we go any further is this is a misapplication of this sermon series would be to say in your notes, um, Nick is saying singing is good, so I'm going to commit a New Year's resolution to sing more, right? I'm just going to sing. I'm going to sing in the car, sing in the shower, sing when I'm making my coffee. I'm just going to sing more. And, and, and scientifically speaking, we know that singing in and of itself has scientific benefits, okay? Do a quick Google search like I did maybe last night, and I'll share some facts with you. Um, <laughs> Singing can boost your immune system. Singing relieves stress. Singing improves mental health. And here's a fun one. Singing may improve snoring, is what they said. So if your spouse is snoring, give them a hymnal and say, you need to sing some songs before you go to bed, all right? Because I'm tired of listening to that chainsaw every night. Um, Let me just say this. God's word never encourages us, sorry, God's word, never, God's word never commands us to sing. God's, and some of you are like, oh, thank God. Okay, I don't have to sing. Just kidding. God's word never commands us to sing for the sake of singing. Let me rephrase that. God's word always commands us to sing to God, to sing to someone. The problem that we have when we look at the spiritual disciplines is we always, we have the tendency, I have this tendency, is we divorce the disciplines from our Redeemer, from a relationship with knowing God. So we just say, reading your Bible is good for you. Science shows that reading and journaling is good for you, so go read and journal with a fresh cup of coffee every morning, right? Uh, prayer is shown to uh, you know, be good for mental health, so just go pray. And we, we always aim at the disciplines and divorce the disciplines from the person we were redeemed to know and love and cherish and adore and give our lives to and worship, right? And so, uh, so we, I just wanna clarify that and I'm about to show you, I, everyone buckle your seatbelts because you're about to get, there's a, there's a fire hose of verses coming your way. And what I want to show you is how scriptures command us to be constantly singing praises to God. Not singing in general, but to God. And so one, we see the uh, quantity of the commands throughout scripture and also the specificity of where our voices are to be rendered, where our song is to be aimed at. And so this is, uh, join me on this. I'm going to I'm going to go as fast as I can here. Judges 5.3, verses will be on the screen. Buckle up. Hero kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. First Chronicles 16.8-9. Oh, give thanks, not for thanksgiving's sake. Give thanks to God because he's good and he's worthy of praise. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him when we gather church. Oh, my goodness. We're singing to somebody who's present with us because Jesus tore the veil. We're not singing to the ducks. We're not singing to the walls. We're not even singing first and foremost to each other. We're singing to a God who's really present by the Spirit in our midst. We're singing to him. Psalm 33, 1 through 3. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise befits the justified in Christ Jesus. Praise befits the totally cleansed by the atoning work of Jesus Christ 
on the cross. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, the electric guitar. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings, the bass. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on those strings, O Tyler Duhame, with loud shouts. With loud shouts. If it gets a little rambunctious, we're obeying what God tells us to do, how he, by the Spirit, wants to receive praise. Shouts of joy. I'll continue. First Psalm 34.1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Continually, without ceasing. Psalm 47, 6-7. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. We have a King, church, who reigns above our circumstances, who reigns above death, who reigns above disease, who reigns above the demonic. We are not a people without a King. He is the king of kings. He reigns over our circumstances. He reigns over our struggles. So therefore, we can sing because our king is enthroned. God's candidate is in office forever. And so we sing to our king. Psalm 66, shout for joy. Shout for joy. All of the earth. That includes you and me, obviously. All the earth sing the glory of of his name. Give him glorious praise. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Psalm 69, 30. I will, a decision of the will, not preference, not depending on the mood or I have a feeling cold or warm or whatever. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will do it and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 69, Psalm 96, 1 through 2. We're going to keep going here. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Psalm 98, 4 through 6. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Psalm 145, 2. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. And I was reading that when I was... We're going over my notes up here. And I'm going, man, is that true of my life? Every day, continually, I'm blessing the name of God, keeping a constant close communion with him. Listen, I think we sometimes think that we, 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 um, uh, we hang up the phone with Jesus, right? We'll say a prayer, we'll have a quiet time, hang up, and then I'll come talk to you at my bedside. But the veil's torn forever for us. That's what Jesus Christ has done so that we can draw near with confidence to the very presence of the living God. We're going to talk about this. Man, i got to get ahead of myself. Okay. Woo, woo, woo. Okay. Um, Ephesians 5, 18 through 19, New Testament now. Don't get drunk with wine. That pales in comparison to the spirit of the living God. Don't get drunk with wine. Drink of the rivers of living water that Jesus said in John 7, 37. You come to me with your thirst, and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water that will truly satisfy your heart. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. How do we get filled by the Spirit? I'm glad you asked. The Apostle Paul teaches us. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Doing what? Singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. What we looked at week one is whatever has your heart has your song. And when God has your heart, he's going to have your song. He's going to have your praise. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ, God's word, the beauty and the riches of the gospel, of all that Christ is for us, dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then Hebrews 13 through 15. 13, 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. 
So all that to say, transit family, I have a small, minuscule hunch that God loves it when his people sing praises to him. Right? That God's people are to be constantly and incessantly singing to their king for his undeserved kindness and goodness and provision for them and everything that they now possess in Christ Jesus. And God commands us to sing because his commands are for his glory and for our good. He knows what's best. And the best thing that he can ever do is to point us to himself, to focus in on ourselves. And when we fix our gaze upon him in praise, there's four things. There's a lot of things that happen, but four things uh, that I want to talk about today is what is happening to us, our inner man, our minds, our hearts, our affections. What happens to us? What, God, what is God ministering to us when we begin to praise his name? So that's the approach we're going to take. And I think there's four things that happen when we sing to our Lord. Four things, if you're taking notes, this would be the outline for uh, the sermon this morning. Singing to our king fixes our gaze upon him. Singing to our king reminds our soul of his goodness towards us. Singing to our king warms our affections for him. And lastly, singing to our king transforms us into his likeness. Praise is one of the ways that we are sanctified into the image of the glory of God because we can only become like what we're beholding in it. Amen? So singing is how God begins. Singing praises are focused on how he begins to transform our inner man and instill within us the things of the Spirit. And so let me pray, and then we'll dive on in. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you making a joyous noise, uh, raising a shout, a hallelujah, uh, that we have a king. We fix our eyes upon uh, the empty tomb. Lord Jesus, and we grieve the loss of, uh, of, of precious loved ones, Lord God, and friends and family members, and, and, and we mourn and grieve, and the other time we do not grieve without, like those without hope, God, that hope of everlasting life. And so, Lord, I just pray that this morning, by your Spirit, that we would forever keep eternity in view, God, in this temporary world where everything is trying to steal our gaze off of Jesus, that you, by the Spirit, would fix our gaze firmly onto Christ that we are a people with a great hope. We are a people with a great king. We are a people with a merciful, compassionate, compassionate, slow to anger, steadfast in his love kind of king. We are in a king. We, 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 we have a king who has conquered the grave and has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and has granted us access for what our hearts were created to do, was to dwell in the midst of God forever. And so, Lord, I just pray that you grab a hold of our hearts, grab a hold of our gaze, and receive the glory that's through your name. And so, Holy Spirit, would you magnify Jesus in these next few minutes? Would, uh, would he magnify and would he increase? And I pray, God, that I would decrease and be forgotten uh, up here as we're just overwhelmed of the goodness of our King. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so singing to our King, first and foremost, it fixes our gaze upon him. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What we have to realize, church, is that there's a constant battle going for your gaze. There's a constant war going on for your eyes, right? There's some brilliant dudes in skinny jeans and some hipster tattoos, drinking freshly roasted coffee and the hipster whatever, in Silicon Valley, who are doing everything they can to make sure on YouTube or social media that your eyes never leave that screen. 
And so that's why some of you are like, oh, what's on YouTube today? Da, 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 da. And like five hours has gone by and you're like, what just happened, right? Because on the other end of that, you have the most brilliant minds on the planet saying, I want your gaze and I'll do whatever I can take to make you now the product that we're gonna market to all the marketers out there. And so yeah, and you become the product on social media. And you, anyways, all that says is that there's a battle, there's a war going on for your gaze. And um, the world and the flesh and the devil, what they simply need to do and what they actively fight against us to do is to take our gaze from seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated, what is ult- which is ultimate reality for us, for those united by faith to Christ. Ephesians 2, 6, we're seated with him in the heavenly places. All they have to do, take our chins down and to the side. Boom. Set our minds on things of the earth. Bills, uh, finances, uh, worldly pleasures, uh, uh, worries, concerns, all that stuff, the news, uh, uh, what's, ha- what's trending now, all these things. If, if they can just do that, they win the battle. And if whatever has your gaze has your worship. Um, worship, a simple definition of worship is focus. A simple de- definition of worship is attention. Where are you giving the most attention to? Where are your eyes focused and fixate on? Because whatever has your focus has your heart, and whatever has your heart has your worship. And so then we are commanded in Scripture, constantly keep before you the reality of the gospel and where your king is seated. Seek the things that are above. And then it begs the question. I'm glad you asked this question. Well, then how, Nick? How? How do we do this? What are some of the ways where we can rip our minds off of all of the earthly concerns and fix them onto Jesus. And I think one of the primary ways that encur- the scriptures encourage us to do that is through the gift of song. And through singing praise to Jesus. Through song, through singing praises to God, we turn our eyes from things of the earth and onto things that are above. We sang that hymn, the very last hymn we sang. They turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? And the, and the things of what? The things of the world will grow strangely, strangely dim as what? In the light of his glory, beholding his glory and his grace. So that's how we do it. Singing that song, turn your eyes. As we're singing, we're turning our gaze upon him. And what praise is, I think, with some of the other spiritual disciplines, if you're like me, it's easy to get distracted. Sometimes reading scriptures or easy to get distracted in prayer. Maybe that's an understatement for some. But with praise, what praise is, it's a full embodied mind, heart, soul pursuit of God. It's a, it's a fully embodied fixing my gaze and setting my mind upon Christ activity, right? Like it's not just your head. You, you think and you reflect on the beauty of the gospels, the riches of Christ, and then it warms the affections of your heart. But then you, you open your mouth, your ears hear, your ears hear shouts of joy and adoration from the, the, the fellow redeemed of God who are cleansed by the blood. And then you might even enlist your hands, right? I clap a little bit, and then even your feet, maybe side to side, maybe, just maybe, get a little side shuffle going as you're praising God, celebrating the king, celebrating he, what he's done. It's a full embodied pursuit of God. It's a full-on fixation upon Christ and everything we are and everything we possess in him. And I think often one of the reasons we struggle to sing, I'm just going to talk about the elephant in the room, is that we feel disqualified in our warmth, in our lack of warmth or coldness, we feel disqualified in kind of our stress, our anxiety, our depression, our fear, and we wrongly think that since I feel distant from God, therefore I cannot sing. Because I feel cold, therefore I cannot sing. And most often what we need to do is get the order reversed. Often our song needs to go before our hearts. And uh, anyone, everyone here hopefully is involved in community groups. Our community groups are back 
uh, in action, which I'm super excited about. And at the Franconia community group this week, believe it or not, one of the topics of conversation was ninjas. Um, it's a great topic of conversation. Not sure what you guys are talking about, but we're talking about ninjas. And a grappling hook got mentioned. I don't even know why. But what's interesting about a grappling hook, it's a long, long rope in that ninjas, uh, scholars would suggest, uh, uh, is that ninjas, uh, it's a rope that has these four hooks, like fish hooks. And if they want to ascend somewhere where they're not there yet, they swing that bad boy, they loose that, and they fix it firmly on their intended destination. You tracking with me? Loose that grappling hook, intend it, make sure it's snug, and then they begin to, you know, ascend the mount, ascend, go up to where they're at. But what proceeds, there's often for us, what I'm getting at is our song has to be loosed first and then our heart travels upon what we're firmly fixed on. Does that make sense? Like sometimes for some of us, we gotta raise a hallelujah in the middle of the storm. Sometimes if our hearts aren't there yet, we have to take ownership, deny ourselves and say, heart and lack of emotion, you're coming with me and I will bless the Lord until you catch up to where my mouth is, right? That, I mean, that's what that, for me, that's how I, like Paul says, he strengthened himself in the Lord when his whole family was taken at Ziklag. And he says he strengthened himself in the Lord. For me, sometimes I strengthen myself in the Lord. When I'm not feeling it, I go, heart, you're coming with me and I'm praising my king. And I'm going to remind you of his goodness and kindness towards us. And we see this happen every Sunday morning. Who here, on the, on the very first verse, the very first song, is like on their knees weeping in love for Jesus besides Joe Workman? Right? <laughs> I mean, God bless you, Joe. Like he's, <laughs> I'm not, right? Like we're fi- like just distracted, you know, just thinking through all the things on the way over here and all that stuff. But then by song three, we're kind of locked in, right? To the point that we don't want to leave that space. There's certain times where I don't want to come up here and preach. I just wish we'd come here and worship because he's worthy of it. He's worthy for everything he's done for us. He's worthy, right? But by song three, we're locked in. Well, what happened? Why did that happen? Well, we all loosen collectively kind of our song, the grappling hooks. And then we said, we're going to ascend the hill. We're going to enter God's courts with, with praise and thanksgiving. And as we do that, as we fix our gaze through song upon him, undistracted, uh, getting rid of distractions, minds uh, not thinking about things of the earth, and we fix our gaze upon him, then what happens next is that uh, song through song, we fix our gaze. But then secondly, through song, singing to our king reminds our soul of his goodness towards us singing uh, to our king reminds our soul of his goodness towards us. And we are a people who are so quick to forget who our God is and all that he is for us in Christ Jesus. We're, we're, we're quick to forget his power, quick to forget his promises to us, uh, quick to forget his presence in our lives. Oftentimes I have three kids at home and we're kind of in a new house. And if I literally, I'm next door, I go from their room to the next room, they go, dad, where are you at? I can't believe you leave me. I'm like, I was just there two seconds ago. And you're already saying, oh, why have you forsaken me, Father? You know, like, (laughs) I was just there. And I feel like that's the way it is with our relationship with God, right? Like, we have these beautiful moments and encounters with the Lord and our time with him. And then we get on 95, we're commuting to work. And the next thing you know, we're, you know, we need some more prayer. Um, (laughs) We're so quick to forget. And if we're asked, well, why is it so difficult to fix our gaze and remember? Well, because God is unseen temporarily, Right? We see, the, we see his spirit manifest by the gifts of the spirit or divine healing and power, right? But like we're here and, and we're taking on faith that this unseen God has made himself seen in the person of Jesus and that we will see him all with unveiled face eventually. But we worship by the spirit. We worship in faith, not by sight. Yet we see dimly, we, uh, not fully right now. And so therefore what God does to his people is he constantly reminds them to set up 
reminders, like Joshua 4. I'm reading through Joshua uh, right now. And in Joshua 4, they cross the Jordan on dry ground. And the Lord commands his people, you go take 12 stones out of that river. And stones of remembrance. And you, and you, and so you don't forget, and you tell your kids about my goodness. And you teach them, because you're going to forget. And so you set up those stones, stones of remembrance. So the gift of song that God gives us is the gift of remembrance of his character, his nature, his likeness, the gift of remembrance. That's the gift of song, is us um, taking often our souls that are prone to forget, right? Prone to wander, prone to be overly stressed and freaking out and fearful, and we bring our souls and we say, hey soul, look at the throne. There's a king seated there, and he's reigning above everything you're freaking out about. He's reigning and ruling over it. And nothing can separate you from him. Hey, 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 soul that's all freaked out and worried. You're here with guilt and shame and condemnation. Behold, in song and praise, look at his nail-scarred hands and his nail-scarred feet and his pierced side for you out of love for you. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. It's not through your sacrifice. It's through the sacrifice of another that you can ascend the hill. Soul, soul, sing. Look, look. Look at his face and see his beaming smile of affection towards you. You are not forsaken. You are beloved forever. That's what's happening when we sing, we're rem- reminding our souls where our king is seated and what his posture is towards his people. And so as we loose the grappling hook, thing is set in stone, we begin to sing songs of the gospel of Jesus, of what he's done for us, and we get closer, we draw near, James 4, 8, we draw near and he draws near to us. And then the third thing that happens as we begin to sing is that singing to our king warms our affections for God. You and I were created to delight in God, a God who delights and sings in us. We unpacked this uh, two weeks ago, that God is most glorified in us when we are supremely satisfied in him. The psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and that in his presence, Psalm 1611, there's fullness of joy. And so it begs the question, well, if singing to our king warms our affections for him, but our chief end is to be satisfied and delighting in God, but often my heart is cold to God and distant to God, and I don't have that kind of a, that affection, what's one of the ways that I can stir my affections for God? And I think one of the primary ways scripture prescribes us to do that is through the gift of song, through singing praises to him. This is what Jonathan Edwards says, a brilliant, uh, uh, if you've read any of Edwards, he's hard to understand, but um, he's extremely well-respected in, in the Reformed camp and evangelicalism at large. And this is what he says about the gift of song. Watch this. It's kind of an old English, so I'll unpack it here in a little bit, but further. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame, that these things have a tendency to move our affections. What Jonathan Edwards says is no other reason can be assigned except for warming our affections for God. We can't just first warm our affections and then sing. Often we can do that as we are reading the scriptures, like theology should always lead to worship, which leads me to my next quote. This quote's awesome. It's by Martin Luther. And Martin Luther says this, and if you're offended by this, take it up with Martin Luther, not me. I have no use for cranks who despise music. Tell us how you really feel, Martin Luther. Uh, Because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people happy. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest 
honor. Experience proves that next to the word of God, only music deserves to be extolled as the mistress and governess of the feelings of the human heart. We know that to the devil's music is distasteful and insufferable. My heart bubbles up and overflows in response to music, which has so often refreshed and delivered me from dire plagues. It's a good one, right? Some of you this morning might need to unlearn some things that, hey, it's okay to seek out gladness and joy and delight in the Lord. I just read a bunch of scriptures that make a joyful sound to God. That's okay to be happy in Christ. The joy, Nehemiah 8 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength and suffering and our pilgrim journey is joy in him, joy firmly rooted that is not rooted and based on circumstances. Jesus says in John 15, three times in the upper room discourse, maybe even more actually, I'm just shooting from the hip up here, that I came that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's okay to be glad in heart. That's the very reason we exist is that Jesus would be our supreme delight, our supreme treasure, so that we could show the world that Jesus is more precious to us than health and wealth and prosperity and all that other stuff. And Jesus is supremely valuable so that the, our goods can be plundered, but we can echo the cry of the Macedonians that we can still praise because we, if, to possess Christ is to possess everything. To truly possess Jesus is to, preset, to possess everything that I was created for. To know Christ is to know everything I was created for. And that's the refrain, the cry of our hearts. And so my question, well, one, the reason God commands us to sing to him is he knows what's best and he's after our joy in him. And that's why he continually draws us um, to himself. And my application question before we move on to my fourth and last point is this, is, 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 is if you never sing to the Lord, if we never sing praises to the Lord, based off a preference or based off bad theology, because scripture clearly commands us from page, every page, essentially, Genesis to Revelation, broadly speaking, commands us to sing to him. If you never sing to the Lord, then my question is, then how do you fan into flame your delight and affections for God? If we are created to delight in and to treasure and to cherish and to adore God, then what means are you using to fan into flame those coals that are maybe running, running cold. How do you do that? And sure, this praise isn't the only way, but I think scripturally speaking, it's primarily the, like, the primary way that we are to do that. Quoting um, the scriptures and also uh, uh, giants in the faith like Jonathan Edwards and Martin Luther. And next one being George Mueller. George Mueller says this, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Happy in the Lord. Is this how we view our day? Is this how I live my life? Like waking up and earnestly longing and desiring to abide in Christ, constant close communion. Oh, rejoicing in God, reminding my soul, going around singing, praising his name, thanking my king for all that he's done for me. And uh, Isaiah 61 says this. If, if you're familiar with Isaiah 61, you know that in Luke 4, Jesus quoted this messianic uh, prophecy as the fulfillment of it. And Jesus said in, uh, Jesus said in Luke 4, quoting Isaiah 61, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, meaning I'm the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. The spirit of the Lord is up, uh, upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set out at liberty those who are in prison, those who are bound in captivity. And then he says in verse 3, he says this, Isaiah 61, 3, 
to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So I think we could look at Isaiah 61 and say that Jesus Christ, the reason, one of the reasons the Messiah came was to give us the gift of praise in exchange for a faint heart. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. That praise, the luxury that we so easily enjoy on a Sunday morning or in our commute to work is a blood-bought gift from the nail-scarred hands of the Messiah to his people. That's how precious it is. Precious it is. That's what Messiah came to, to clothe us and garments of praise. And so all that to say before we move on to our last point, if you and I, man, if the encouragement is this, um, anyone here wake up freezing today? All of you, right? I naturally in the winter, uh, my, my toes and my fingers are like ice cubes, 24-7. Anyone else have that problem? Like blood flow, not getting to, it drives me nuts to the point that I'm like typing up my sermon a little bit this morning in my office and I can't type because my fingers are like numb, okay? So I set up this radiator in my office, this oil heater. And uh, I don't set out to get warm. What I do is I say, I am cold and my fingers are cold, but I know a place that's nice and warm and radiating heat, radiating glory. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw near to that thing and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sermon prep, almost like straddling the oil heater <laughs> so I can, I can get some blood flow into my extremities. And so what we, what we want to do in praise is, is if we want hearts ablaze and, we, and our hearts are cold and we want to be warmth, warm, we, we need to draw near to the only source of warmth, right? We can't keep our distance and, and just will ourselves to, to get you know, warm. No, 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 just, just enter in. Just draw near through the gift of praise and song and let the Lord minister to you in worship because the fourth thing we see, the fourth thing we see in praise, and I'll wrap up with this, is singing to our king transforms us into his likeness. Singing to our king transforms us into his likeness. Through praise, we fix our gaze. We remind our souls. We remember his goodness and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Our hearts begin to well with emotion and affection for him. And as that's happening, as we draw near, what we have, the hope of the scriptures, James 4, 8, we draw near, God draws near to us. And in the moment of praise and worship, God begins to minister directly to your soul. He begins to, this is what Wayne Grudem says, theologian Wayne Grudem. When we worship God, he meets with us and directly ministers to us, strengthening our faith, intensifying our awareness of his presence, and granting refreshments to our spirit, granting refreshment to our spirit. When we sing praises to God, we draw near to him in faith. The Lord in his grace draws near to us by the spirit, and he begins to instill faith, courage, hope, assurance of salvation, assurance of his presence in the midst of suffering. The Lord ministers to us. Uh, the reason praise is powerful is not because of there's, there's uh, scientific benefits in singing. The reason praise is powerful because of who we're singing unto, uh, who we're singing to. We're singing to the God who is singing over us, Zephaniah 3 17 and the beautiful work of when we gather here corporately to begin to sing praises to him is that God is actively at work in our praise transforming us into his likeness. 2 Corinthians 3 17 through 
18, and uh, band, you can come on up. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you've read 2 Corinthians 3, you know that the context of this is Moses ascending Mount Sinai to get into the presence of God. He receives the Ten Commandments, and he's basking in the glory. He's beholding the glory. He's kind of marinating in that glory cloud on top of Mount Sinai. And when he comes back down, his face is radiating uh, the presence of God, so much so that it terrifies the people of God. His brother's terrified. The people, they're like, yo, you need to cover that up, okay? Now we need to ask the question, well, how did Moses radiate the glory of God? I got, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what it wasn't. He didn't go to like a, a saw or a, a spa or a salon on top of Mount Sinai and get some Botox and some makeup and he comes down and he's like, wow, he's glistening. The wrinkles are gone. Maybe it's Maybelline. You know, like, maybe that's why he's glistening. No, Moses didn't set out to beautify his face. He was hanging out with the living God. He was basking in the glory of God and exposure, just drawing near to a heat, a supernatural exposure to the radiating power and majesty of God had a physiological change on his natural body. That's why you and I have to be glorified because our circuit will, will, will evaporate to dust and glory if, if our, body, our bodies can't handle the presence of God. So much so that Moses gets exposure and it's, it's emanating from him. And so what I'm getting at is Moses didn't set out to change. He set out to behold the glory of God and the glory of God is what changed him. He fixed his gaze. He ascended the mountain. He pursued God. He got in the presence. And the key to your transformation is proximity to and longevity with the presence of God. The Holy Spirit inside you is the one who regenerates your soul, breathes life onto your dead body, and then conforms you into the image of God. Sanctification. Progressively becoming less and less like the flesh and more and more like Jesus Christ. Transformed. And one of the ways we do that is through beholding. How do we become more and more like Christ? Through beholding his glory. An apple tree. An apple tree. This is something that, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with goals. There's nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. But if you think about the, 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 the imagery the Lord gives us in John 15 or some of the Old Testament stuff, is that um, uh, when, we, when we look to, for example, an apple tree doesn't set out to say, I'm going to bear, I'm going to bear 30 apples this season. Right? It's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to assert my will, and I'm going to manifest fruit. I'm going to show fruit. No, no, that's not what the tree does. What the tree does is, is, it, is it raises as far as it can its leaves, beholding the glory of the sun and the warmth and the sun. It brings life. It brings energy. It brings and, and, then, and then it goes low. and It says, I'm going to go as low as I can humbly digging the roots into the nutrient-rich soil, the character, the nature, the glory of God is nature, is likeness. And then I'm going to open up my hands and receive as much outpouring of the Holy Spirit as I can handle. I'm going to drink deeply and then watch the fruit that comes in my life. And then watch the fruit that comes in my life. John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The command is not to go out and bear fruit. It is to come and to abide and then begin to see what happens in my life. And when we behold our king and we sing praises to him, we're locking in and we're opening up our hands to bask in his glory. 
to, to receive the, the rivers of living water, a fresh, get a fresh uh, a drink that Jesus Christ has promised to those who know him in John 7, 37. Come to me with your thirst and I'll give you rivers of living water. And to plant our roots deeply in the nature and the love and the character and the glory of our God. And as we do that, we become more and more like what we're beholding. That's the hope of scripture is that as we behold Jesus, we become more like him. And then what we see for Moses is this, is that what you and I are looking at, when people look to us, they will see what we've been looking at. That's what it was for Moses. People saw what Moses was looking at. When he came down the mountain, they saw something, he was reflecting something else. And so when we begin to fix our gaze upon Jesus naturally, and, he, and we allow him by the spirit to minister to us, we're gonna begin to reflect his glory, be transformed into his likeness. We become like that which we behold. In 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 3, 7 through 8 says this, and I will wrap up with this. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of, his, because of his glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And what, what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians is he's saying we can look to Moses and the Israelites and um, uh, the glory that was present, and we can envy them. Say, so, oh, they had it so good back then. They had it so good. They had the cloud by night, the, you know, the, the pillar, the fire by night, the cloud. They had it so good. And what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 3 is because of what Jesus has done, we have it better. We have more access to the presence of God with confidence, without fear, without trembling, that we can draw near. So what I want to say, what I want to encourage us in is that it's all real, transit family. He's real. He's alive. Jesus tore the veil. We have the presence of God who's right now in our midst. We are the temple of the living God. That's what Christ has done. It's all real so that when we sing to him, we're actually singing to him. And we, can, we have the hope that he's actually ministering to us. He's actually drawing near as we draw near. It's all real. It's the very reason you exist. It's not to attend church. It's not to just know good theology. It's to know the living God so much so that Jesus would die so you could enter in and encounter the glory of his presence so that he could dwell in your midst forever, forever. That's what it's about. It's all real. He's real. He's present by his spirit and he's made the way. We'll segue right into communion right now. He's made the way. If you need to grab communion elements, feel free to grab them in the hallway or grab them at home. We were designed to dwell in the midst of God, enjoying his presence forever. And where sin sought to bring separation and a veil was crafted between the holy place and the most holy place, Jesus died. He broke his body and he shed his blood. Why? So we could have our sins forgiven. Why? So that we could draw near with confidence to our God. And listen, open invite to take your cold, lukewarm heart to the consuming fire of God, coming just as you are, knowing you're covered and saying, God, I don't, I feel lukewarm. I feel cold. I feel distant from it. I feel covered in guilt and shame and condemnation, coming just as you are, knowing that you're covered so that you can again get the fresh filling of the Spirit and the warmth and the kindness of his love for you. And that's what this meal commemorates is the glory of God. The, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, the scriptures say, in Christ Jesus. And you want to know God's posture towards you, it's, it's shown in the cross. 
his heart for humanity, that while we were still sinners, Christ died to save us and to bring us home to the presence of our Father. And so this is the body of Christ broken for you and for me, tearing down this blood, this uh, uh, broken body and shed blood is tearing down all the walls that would separate us from encountering the presence, dwelling in the presence, uh, having a, 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 a living and active relationship with the living and active God. So this is the body of Christ, symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you to bring you home. The blood of Jesus shed for your sins and mine so that forevermore we can have, we can have confidence that nothing can separate us from the love and the presence of our God. Amen and amen. So we're going to sing one last song to our King. Highest, loudest praise. As you do this, for some of you, maybe you need to take time with the Lord. You can, you can stay seated and pray and contend and ask God to remove maybe some of those barriers that are keeping you from him. But our uh, Lord is greatly to be praised because great is his goodness and his kindness towards us. And so my hope, my desire is after this sermon is as we behold and we remind ourselves of who he is, that we would leave here celebrating. We leave here proclaiming and excited that this is who I am, forever secure in the arms of my Father because of all that Christ is towards me. Um, and so let's sing one last song of praise to our King, and then I'll close us with a uh, final benediction.